We're continuing our series called Your Supersized Life. And today I want us to look at a day we've all been looking forward to, a day to look forward to. And as we've been talking in the past about this supersized life, we've been talking about uh, this life that we're living right now. And God has so much more for your life today. Uh, it's not just about getting through today. It's not just about getting through this week or next month or that and just surviving. God has so much more for your life. And then we've been talking about the life beyond this one. And we've, we've been talking about eternity. Uh, when I grew up in church, um, we talked a lot about, the pastor talked a lot about that day, that day. And it, it was with mixed emotions and mixed feelings, I have to admit, because on one hand, it sounded great. Heaven sounds like a great place. But on the other hand, uh, everything that uh, uh, th uh, my pastor, but also other pastors talked about, uh, put a little bit of fear into me as well and a lot of anxiety. Uh, you see, uh, it all had to do with what are you doing when Jesus came back? Um, where I grew up, um, you know, uh, those places called movie theaters, uh, those were not godly places. Um, in fact, uh, so much so that uh, I wasn't allowed to go to movies as a kid. Why? Because, and get this, uh, this train of thought that a lot of people, including my parents, held on to was, you do not want to be in a movie theater when Jesus came back. <laughs> Why? Because movie theater, you know, Jesus can't get in there. I don't know, or you know, <laughs> the ceilings are rapture-proof. You just can't get, I don't know. At the same time, you didn't want to be doing anything sinful when Jesus came back because, you know, he was just going to pass you over and look the other way. So there's this excitement and this anticipation for Christ's return and this excitement and anticipation for heaven. That's where we all want to be, right? But there was this fear and trembling attached to it as well. And, and so you talked about it, but you didn't talk about it. You, you embraced it, but you didn't. And, and there, there's tons and tons of questions about that day we're looking forward to. Do we really look forward to it or don't we look forward to it? Do we want it to happen or don't we want it to happen? I have to admit, when I was 12 years old, I, I was asking fervently Jesus to just hold off a little while. At least until I graduated from, uh, uh, from high school. And in fact, there, it was kind of funny. I was, I was kind of uh, here one day and, and then the other way because if I had an exam coming up, a real tough exam, I wanted Jesus to come back now. But then on the other hand, um, knowing that one day I would meet Dana, no, not really, but I was praying, and uh, that uh, we would get married, and, you know, I wanted uh, to, to be able to graduate and, 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 and get married and have a family, and how about this one, um, the year 2000? For those of us born in that other millennia, um, that was a big deal. I remember thinking ahead and doing the math and going, okay, I'm born in 1967. Uh, that would make me 33 when the year 2000, it just seemed like so far away. And oh my goodness, I don't, I, I don't even think I'll live to be 33, but Jesus is coming back before 2000. You know, um, I was talking to Pastor Beth and there's that book, 88 Reasons Why the uh, Lord is Coming Back in, in 1988. Was that the name of that book? 88 Reasons, is that the one? Uh, it's going over every one of your heads. But there, there was just this anticipation, but with it went a whole lot of confusion. 
and a whole lot of questions. And that's what I want us to look at today is, is how to live our lives today, but also living in light of eternity. And that, that expectancy that we have for Christ's return and to have some clarity on it so it's not just full of, of questions or even fear and anxiety, but we're seeing it the way Christ wants us to see. You know, we're not the only ones uh, with questions or concern about Christ's coming again. Uh, in fact, uh, those disciples that he hung out with for three years, uh, you'd think they would have it all together, but they didn't. They had questions. As Jesus was talking to them about leaving and coming back, they freaked out. What do you mean? Because their image of, of him taking up his, his reign was that his kingdom would be an earthly kingdom. His kingdom would be an overthrow of the government, and, and, and they would be a part of this rule and reign here on earth. And yet Jesus was talking about something different, leading to even more confusion for them. So take a look at John chapter 14 as we get started this morning. Uh, Jesus knew his disciples' anxiety. Look at verse 1 of John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. These are familiar verses to us. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So he's talking about this specific place, a location. He's, he's telling them, I am going to a place. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus says to them, he says, I see you're freaking out. I see you're afraid. But let me assure you that I am going to that place. I'm going there. And I will come back. It's a promise he gives them. I am going to come back. And he says, the even better thing, the cool part of this all, is that when I come back, I'm going to take you with me and we're going to be in that place together for all of eternity. This is what he's saying. And he talks about this crossing over. You know, um, shortly after we moved to uh, Illinois from Canada, uh, we were going through a, a lot of our, our visas and green card stuff. And at one point, we'd actually been in uh, Illinois for two years, and we had to make what they call a, a, an entry and uh, there's, there's an official terminology in crossing over the borders. And if you say those magic words, I am making an entry, it kicks all of these legal things and political, whatever it is, um, to get entry into a country. Well, we had to travel from Illinois up to Buffalo, New York. We had to cross over into Canada um, we actually spent a little bit of time. Dana was pregnant with Gabe at the time. We went up to Niagara Falls just to say we'd been there and, and seen this big, huge uh, place with water falling over the, the edge. Um, and then we had to cross back over to the United States through the border. And at that point, we said, we're here to make an entry. And, and long story short, a few years later, we have our green cards. The one thing that was, that was very evident was we traveled from the United States of America, we crossed over the border into Canada, and then we came back. And in essence, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I'm here in time and space with you. I'm here on earth with you. I am going there to this location, to this place called heaven. It's where my father lives. It's where his house is. And I'm going to prepare that place. And then I'm going to come back. I'm going to cross the border. I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to take you back with me. 
And this is the, the promise he is giving his disciples, explaining it to them. It's, it's hard for us to understand because we live in time and space. We live in this mortal created realm and what Jesus is talking about and where his father lives and where he's gone to prepare the place for us is in this, this immortal and eternal realm. And yet he's giving us hints. He's giving us promises. He's, he's speaking about this and how this will take place. Well, it's important to, to mention, it's important to identify that there are many different convictions about this other place. This place that we cross over, this, this border that we cross between this life and the life to come. You know, there's some who believe and some who, their conviction is that, that when that line is crossed and when we cross from this life to the next, in fact, we just kind of come back into this life as something different or someone different. It's called reincarnation. Many people hold fast to this uh, idea that when we cross this border, we, we just simply come back. And depending on our works and depending on what we've done, we will live through this world once again just in a different form, whether it's elevated or not. Some people believe that when they pass or when we pass from this life to the next, we enter into a, a, a space and time. It's rather nondescript except for the fact that it's blissful and it, it's an enlightened state. Some would call this, this place nirvana or this state nirvana. Some people believe that crossing from this life into the next somehow elevates us into immortality, almost to a godlike status that we will rule over a kingdom of our own and, and be elevated to be like God. Still others would believe that, that crossing over from this life to the next is really not crossing over at all. And in fact, it's just the end of the story. It's like getting to the end of the book and closing the cover and say, well, that's that. In the same way that we, we lacked consciousness before being born, after we die, we will simply cease to exist. Something that's called annihilation. But Christians believe in a heaven and a hell. Christians believe in an eternity. We believe that this is a real place that Jesus went to. This is a certainty for us. We believe that heaven is real. We believe that hell is real. We believe that there is an eternal life for all of us to live. And you see, you will live forever. It'll either be in the presence of God or it'll be outside of the presence of God, but each and every one of us is destined for eternity. And with that said, it's important for us to take a look further and what this means for each and every one of us. Now, I understand that this, this subject and this topic, we could spend uh, weeks, if not months on, and we're not going to do that. But, and let me tell you that this is not a sermon on the timing. When I was a kid, it was all about the timing. When, when, hey, wouldn't it be nice if? And you don't have to go far. You don't have to YouTube uh, far. You don't have to Google far. You don't have to turn on the TV for, for very long before you hear of people predicting or trying to predict when that'll happen. This isn't a sermon on 
Christ's return necessarily in the timing. It's not has nothing to do with the millennial reign or the rapture or the tribulation. We're not going to pull out maps and charts and try to predict and draw lines and if this happens, then that. And, and what about these? And try to step through the book of Revelation. We're not going to do that. At the same time, this isn't a sermon about what happens to those who have already passed away and when and how and where are they and all that. That's another sermon for another time. Book of Thessalonians and Corinthians uh, speaks about that. But I have interpretations and convictions, but those aren't for today. Instead, what I believe that we're to talk about and to focus on this morning is in light of this, this topic and this subject, your supersized life, is this. How are we to live our lives today And how are we to view Christ's return? And how are we to regard that as we live our lives today? The fact that Christ will return and restore what has been broken, what has been corrupted by sin. This is what a supersized life is all about. So this morning I have a couple of of encouragements a couple of things to encourage us with. And, and knowing what we know, I believe that we're to be encouraged to live our lives with joy and expectation and hope instead of fear and dread and worry. Let me say that again. I, I, I believe that Scripture is encouraging us to live our lives with, with joy and expectation and hope rather than fear and dread and worry. And also that our lives should be lived much differently than those who don't know Jesus as Lord and leader and forgiver of their lives. You know, someone going through life without that perspective sees things much differently. Jesus told his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I believe that his encouragement to us is the same. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And so our lives are lived with the perspective of heaven. Our lives are filled with the perspective of his promises. And that gives us a perspective on ourselves. We sang a song, who he says I am. That allows us to live our lives with a whole lot uh, more confidence and courage with a whole lot more perspective on who we are and who he created us to be. It it provides perspective on other people around us. It helps us with our perspective on other people, on our friends and our family as well. I think it puts a perspective on successes and failures. Where someone who doesn't see life in light of eternity, they see a failure as the be-all and end-all of their existence. Whereas we see failures and successes in light of eternity, in light of what he's called us to. What about your perspective on riches and poverty? Your perspective on politics, current events? I believe that so many people run around worried and fearful about now and the present and what's going on, whether it's in our country or countries around the world, and it's in fear and trembling rather than hope and expectation that one day Christ is going to come and make all things new and as it should be. And somehow we, we get outside of that perspective and we get fearful, we get worried about, oh no, what is going to happen? Oh no, what about my life? Oh no, what about my family's life? What about security and protection and care and health and, and you name it? 
But when we see life in light of eternity, all that takes on perspective. It doesn't mean we don't care about those things. It just means there's a higher purpose to life and a bigger end in sight. What about tragedy and social trends, priorities and goals? All those things, I believe, fall through the filter of eternity and we live our lives much differently. But it especially affects our perspective on life and death. You see, Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is what, huh? That just doesn't compute. That's not logical here and now in this time and space. But you put eternity into that equation and all of a sudden Paul's words become so crystal clear. The truth of the matter is we're not the only ones to ever navigate these questions. The disciples navigated through these questions. The New Testament church navigated through these questions Paul spoke directly to a church that was struggling with these questions, the church in Corinth. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I believe that as Paul provided this church with, with encouragement, he wants to encourage us with these same words this morning. Starting at verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this to the church there. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. In the same way that the disciples were freaking out, this church was freaking out and going, oh no, what's going on? And Paul brings some encouragement to them. He says, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. You see, when, when, when God created, Genesis says that he created it and he said it's good. When he created Adam, he created Adam and he says, this is very good. He, it says that he created Eve out of Adam. And in that place, in that setting, there was no sin. There was no corruption. You think about it for a moment. There's no sorrow. There's no no sadness. No sickness. No suffering. Imagine a place like that. But then Genesis 3 says the sin entered the world. And perfection was corrupted. God's creation was corrupted so much so that it says that it was under a curse. You can go through and study. There's curses over the man, over the woman, over the beast, over the world, over the earth. So much so that it's evident. Just go out in your backyard this time of year. I bet you're fighting weeds, right? Weeds are an indication of the fall. You see, before the sin entered the world, there wasn't a weed in the garden. The land was not difficult to till and to produce. I don't know if there were squirrels or not eating uh, Dan's uh, um, uh, peaches or not. I'm sure there were squirrels, but they probably just ate their own food. They didn't worry about the, right? And then those pesky squirrels, you know, under the curse. But the curse 
came upon the world through the sin of Adam. Through the sin of humanity, through the sin of mankind, and this world was corrupted, and and Jesus comes and says, I have a solution for that. I'm going to pay the price for sin. I'm going to pay the price to win victory over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. And I'm going to restore that which was once created in perfection and reverse the curse. Romans 8, Paul says that this world was subjected to frustration. Have you ever been frustrated at something? Something just doesn't quite work? Well, Paul talks a lot about that, about this earth just not working as it should. You know, some people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Everyone asks that question, right? My pastor in Illinois one time preached a sermon on this. He says, you know, in some ways it's easy, in other ways it's rather difficult. But he said, you know, one answer is our own sin. Bad things happen to me because I sin. Another reason why bad things happen to me is because other people sin. Other people around me sin and somehow I get caught in the crosshairs. Someone sins, steps over the line and it affects me. To a great degree or a small degree, it affects me. But then he went on to talk about random chaos. Sometimes bad things happen to good people simply by living in a fallen world. There's no explanation. It's the question asked to Job, who sinned? You know, where's the sin in your life? No, no. You see, this world does not function as it should, and that entered, that started in Genesis 3. But Jesus has a solution. He says, I've come that they might have life, life to the full. Come to set them free from sin. You see, God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die that that those who receive him should not perish but have eternal life. He says the son didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world, to redeem us. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5. Paul goes on. He's, he's, He's letting this Corinthian church know what hope is all about and how they are to live in light of eternity. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, he says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. I want to stop there for a second. Uh, The last time I went camping, um, I noticed that tent is temporary. Um, In fact, it's so temporary that right now the tent I slept in as my kind of home when I was out camping is now folded up and it's in my attic. It's not sitting out in that nice pasture, out in that out on that uh, mountain uh, meadow that I love so much. It's in my attic. It's so temporary. And this is what Paul is saying here: is this earthly body that we have is temporary. This earthly home we have is temporary. He says, when this earthly tent is taken down, we will have a house. I love that word, house because that speaks of permanency. We'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. A show of hands, how many grown weary this weekend by getting out in the backyard and working and pulling weeds and yes. Maybe it's just me because I'm over 50, but 
My body is weary at times. And we long to be put, sorry, we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we'll put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. Verse four, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Infused with life. Verse 5, God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. That's important. He has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not seeing. There's a ton in there. You can chew on those verses for about a month. We're longing. This body, this life, this, these days that we're living out, they don't work as they should. However, he has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit ensuring, to give us confidence that we can live in this life with the perspective of eternity when one day all will be made new again. So I believe there's some ways that Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to live, and I believe he's encouraging us to live in the same way. The first is the life of longing. To live a life of longing, desiring. You know, sometimes when we long and we desire for, for things, we, we get griping and grumbling and complaining, especially if we're hungry. People have even created a word called hangry. You know, hungry and angry at the same time. We just, you know, this isn't, we're not to be hangry but we're to be longing. Almost like when we go on a trip and, and last, think of the last time you went on a trip and you're longing to be at home in your own bed. It's that desiring. Yeah, you're having fun at Disneyland or you're having fun on the beaches of, of the Caribbean or you're having fun skiing up in Colorado, but there's still something about being home. That's the longing that we're supposed to live our lives with. Paul also talked about an eager expectation. This is expectation that we know that we know that we know that it's true. Jesus is coming back. We're to live that way. Look at Philippians 3. Paul says in verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven. (laughs) You've heard that song, we're just passing through. We're citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting Are you eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior? He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control, reversing that curse that came in Genesis three. Yeah, we have questions. We have confusion, maybe even some worry, yet there is that eager expectation of Christ's return. And finally, I believe that Paul was encouraging the church to live a life of confidence and faith. Living a life of confidence and faith. And it's it's an attitude that permeates and colors our entire lives, the days that we live. It's a guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says we don't lose heart. Because Christ has given us a deposit. He's, he's, He's put on our account as a promise of his return. 
So here was Jesus, full circle, back with his disciples, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I believe that Jesus wants to reveal a few things to us this morning. The first one is this. He wants us to have peace. He's told us these things. Why? To freak us out? No. So we're sitting there worried when we go into a movie theater. Oh no, what's going to happen? No. He's told us these things so we'll have peace. And let me tell you, you can have peace today. He's also told us these things so we can be strong and firm and steadfast. You talk about living your life today. There's some misled people who lived their lives in a pretty crazy, weird way because they were believing that Jesus was coming tomorrow and so much so that they didn't pay their mortgage, they didn't pay their light bill and their heat bill, and the, you know. Now hear me. Jesus wants you to live today to the fullest. He wants you to live this life and let your life be a testimony of his goodness and faithfulness and truth. And that's living strong and firm and steadfast. And I believe he also wants us to live with assurance of what we don't see. With certainty. You know, see, it can go so far the other way that we invest so much in just this life that we, we invest nothing in heaven as if it won't come true. But we live this life with the assurance of those things we don't see. And so it's a both and. I believe God has this big, huge life for us to live here. So much to live even in the midst of the curse of sin. He's given up his, us his Holy Spirit, but also living with the expectation of eternity. As Jonathan and I were speaking this past week, uh, he came up with this song that I've, I've asked him to sing. I believe it puts into perspective what we're talking about this morning. Paul's encouragement to the church but it puts in, in perspective this life and the life to come. Listen to the song. Yes. 
you bow your heads close your eyes. One day we'll see him face to face. One day we're going to see him face to face. You know, if that's not the truth, we're to be pitied because there's no hope. There's no life. There's no goodness. It's only what we can conjure up on our own. On our own. But the truth of the matter is that God sent his son Jesus he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And he came to give us life to the full, that even in the midst of sickness and sadness and hurt and sorrow and suffering and even death, we can have life. And there's a tension. There's a tension between the dreaming and the coming true. There's a tension in which we live in each and every day. Each and every day the alarm goes off. Climb out of bed. There's tension between holding the holy and the and the redeemed. And holding the that which is sinful and that which is corrupted. We get our hands dirty. We get our feet dirty. And yet he says, come to me, all you who are weary. I'm going to give you rest even today. But there's bright hope for tomorrow. There's strength for today. There's peace for today. Even in the midst of affliction, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of stuff. But I got you. I got you. Why? Because I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit is going to comfort you. Is going to remind you of the truth. So that when a loved one dies, it's not a so long, it's a we'll see you soon. 
that when you get bad news at the doctor's office and all seems lost, there's still hope. When there's strained relationships, there's reconciliation. And there's life here in this world and a much bigger life in the world to come. So Lord, speak to our hearts. Wipe away the fear, the worry, the anxiety. And may we have your peace because you yourself said you've told us these things so that we'd have peace. We receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm inviting our altar team to come forward. And I think the message this morning is simply run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. If you seem like your, your life is far and distant away from him, would you run to him this morning? Maybe your life here this morning, maybe it's just could use a lot more peace and a lot more assurance and a lot more confidence and courage and just an added perspective on eternity here in this world. Invite you just as we, we, we're gonna close in just a moment, but I want us to worship. Can we do that? For some of you, it might be in song. For some of you, it might just be in, in, in just listening and letting him remind you. For others, I invite you to come and receive ministry and prayer. If you'd like to do that, like I said, we'll dismiss in just a moment. But can we just say yes and amen to what God is speaking to us about this morning? That we can live our lives today with great rejoicing and celebration, knowing that there's even greater joy and celebration in the world to come eternity that he has for each and every one of us. So let's worship and come if we can minister to you and pray with you. Come as we sing, all right?